The content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client situation is different. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor. You're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome to the next episode of Bare Naked Money, where we get bare naked and talk about money. No, that's not a thing. We're just going to talk about money. Hopefully the bare naked got you interested. But hey, what's got everybody's interest right now is markets have plummeted, haven't they, Josh? Pl- plummeted. You're you're going to your media headlines type of mode, aren't you, Colin? I just repeat what I hear. Tumultuous, free fall, all yeah. these words. I think we, we've seen the headlines come across. Yeah, no, I, that's exactly what I'm playing off of. So I'm going to trust you to to walk me back from the edge and, and explain to me and put this in context, Josh. Can you help us out? Well, yeah, first and foremost, we should probably just start with what are the issues that we're seeing right now that are leading to this market downturn? And just to put it in perspective, we're not talking about a huge pullback here, maybe five-ish percent right now as as we record this podcast, which... Historically speaking, this is a blip. We have this happen quite a bit when you're investing in stocks throughout time. That said, people are a little bit worried about things. So what are these worries and where do these worries stem from? Well, I think one I'll throw out there that we've been talking about a lot and seeing a lot of those headlines is China. And China is doing some crazy stuff and there's some crazy stuff going on. Most recently, the China Evergrande story that we had talked about, I think, on a short recording in the past. But China Evergrande, just to summarize for everybody, it's a 300, I don't know if it's 300 billion, but it has 300 billion in debt. It's a property development company in China, has $300 billion of debt and about 200,000 employees. So it's a pretty sizable operation. And they have recently defaulted on their debt or missed some of their, their debt repayments. It's a concern, I suppose. And not so much with the company itself, But what happens, the question is, what happens if some of these these debt issues start to spill over to other companies in China? China is a very big economy, second largest economy in the world, pretty important to to global economics. And I think more importantly than that, the issuers of these debt or the, the banks that are financing it, rather the financial institutions that are financing it, could we start to see some issues with them if you have these massive debtors fail to repay. Yeah, and I think this is where we should put the disclaimer in. We think that has something to do with it. But again, knowing exactly what caused a market to move at any point in time involves untangling of a spider web that historians could work on for the next 20 years before they truly understood it. Josh, you're pointing out something that is very topical. It is top of mind for a lot of people. And it's reasonable to expect there's some kind of causal relationship between that news story and what's going on. I'm not sure what all the other stories are that contribute to this or frame of mind or a weather system somewhere in the Pacific or the triple witching of the contract expiry in the the European Union somewhere. But yeah, there can be lots of little things that we go to unwind. But emotionally, I think you probably have hit it on the head. 
Yeah, well, there's millions of market participants and we're not sure what is driving each of them on any given day and any given minute during every given hour. There's, it's definitely hard to unravel all of that. And you can just look at the headlines to identify some of the issues that we have trying to identify what the issues are with saying, yes, this is the cause of this and this is the cause of this. A lot of times the media will ascribe an issue to, or, or a pullback to one specific issue. And often there could be hundreds of different issues on any given day. And it's hard to say that, yes, that was definitely leading to that. And you'll see sometimes where it's like day one, oil goes up, markets pull back. People are concerned about higher oil prices. And then that day two, it's like higher oil is good for producers. Markets up today is this doesn't make any sense. Like you can't argue both sides in the same same argument on two consecutive days. Yeah. But, you know, but again, I think emotion does play into it a little bit. And I, I do think that you know, China is of a magnitude that that does reverberate a little bit, at least from a story perspective, if not from an absolute perspective. But to get to your point, Josh, I, I don't think that these kind of pullbacks are unusual, like from a percentage basis. I think listening to you talk not that long ago about how this is the largest pullback since 2020, this is the largest pullback since last year. Really? That's the headline we put on this? Yeah, Wednesday is the worst day of trading this week. It's like, yeah, it's only Wednesday. It's not a big data set you're pulling from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I said, in the grand scheme of things, this is not really that significant. Yes, it's the largest pullback in a year and a half, but we've had pretty consistent and steady markets. I would say unusually steady and consistent markets over the last year and a half. So having a bit of a pullback here is not shocking. I think people seem to be forgetting that markets tend to be pretty volatile. So again, nothing abnormal here that is taking place, at least not yet. You don't know what's going to happen next, but it's cer certainly it's not shocking. Why don't you comment on the likelihood that we would see a big market drop absent a recession? Is, is it, how much of a correlation is that? Yeah. So just to, to give some context to, to why we say this is a pretty normal occurrence, if we go back to 2011, Global stocks have declined by at least 10% in every one of those calendar years, except for 2017. So we're going back 10 years, nine out of those 10 years, the market has pulled back more than 10% within that calendar year. And I believe that we've only had one negative calendar year during that period of time. So from January 1st to December 31st, only one time markets have been negative over that period of time, yet nine out of 10 years, the markets have pulled back at least 10% during that calendar year. So again, totally common occurrence for stocks to pull back. That doesn't mean that the end of the world or that you should run out and sell because a lot of times it is just a temporary pullback and things continue climbing after that. Now, what you are pointing to is when do we have some really severe or prolonged pullbacks? And when should we really be concerned about that? And we define a severe prolonged pullback as anything that's more than 20% sort of top to bottom in terms of a downturn for the stock market. And typically, and I believe there's only one instance that type of pullback has occurred outside of a recession, and that was 1987. So what we can look at is what's happening with the economy as a whole. And if we think the economy as a whole is still on solid footing or still growing, then it's highly unlikely that we see a significant and prolonged pullback, as I've been calling them. So something significantly more than 10% or into that 20% and, and beyond range. 
So when we look at the economy today, we're still just recovering from the recession that we had last year, which by the way, accompanied a 20% pullback in the markets or more. Growth this year is going to be very strong. I think that's clear. Growth next year is on track to be pretty decent. And we still have a massive sort of shortfall in the people that are, are working. There's a lot of people out there in the labor force that are looking for, or should hopefully soon be looking for jobs. As more people work, the economy should continue to improve. Businesses will continue to pay, make money. People will get paid money and spend that money, and that should continue to drive the economy higher. So our point of view right now is economy decent, at least. Stock market, yeah, maybe pulled back here and there, but should continue marching higher in the bigger picture. All right, so let's stop being cold, heartless mathematicians. And let's, let's admit that this makes people feel bad, Josh. And feeling bad is an okay thing. It's part of life. Yeah. So we can look at you know, all kinds of things as to why people feel bad. And some of it comes from, hey, look, my account, this is the absolute top number my account ever was because I watch it every day. Anything less than that, I feel like I've lost money. And if that's how you're going to do your bath, there's going to be a lot of days that you're not going to be happy because there is undulation in returns. So anchoring to that big number is setting yourself up for discipline. You're not going to be up every day if you're exposed in the markets. You now we're having conversations with clients as we record this where, yeah, they're down three or 4% you know, from their peak. But the accounts are pretty much exactly where they were three months ago. You've got just as much money as you had three months ago. Three months ago, you were ecstatic. Today, you're apoplectic because you're going to lose all your money. It's the same balance in your account. So just, you know, take a look at it from a couple of different perspectives. And hopefully that will give you some comfort and start to allow the natural feelings that you're having that are okay to have, that are very valid, gradually dissipate by you know, showing yourself and allowing yourself to see this from a couple of different perspectives. Are there any other favorite cognitive biases that uh, you've been talking with clients about recently, Josh? Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of them. These are always interesting. I think, so th this is a field of study called behavioral economics or behavioral finance. I think you and I are both pretty fascinated with. And actually, if, if you don't like anything about finance or economics, you may still like this aspect of things because it really gets into psychology and some of the sociological aspects of our day-to-day -day life. So it's really a fascinating branch of study of the whole finance and economics thing. A couple things that you uh, talked about there, Colin, that I think are super interesting is you're constantly living in, in a state of regret if you're looking at your account every day. Because th three quarters of the time, markets are not at an all-time high. So they're making all-time highs about 25% of the time. So one out of every four days, but three out of every four days, you're living in regret because you could have sold the day before at a higher level. But that doesn't preclude the idea that markets tend to go up over time and you'll be generally better off if you're holding on to things. It, it's tough when you're looking at things every day. And actually, there have been studies that have shown the more frequently you look at your account, the worse you tend to do as an investor. So our first word of wisdom from this, this podcast, don't look at your account every day. If you don't need to, it's, it's not really necessary. We're doing that. Well, the other action, the other reaction people have is a bias towards action. Something terrible is happening. Therefore I have to do something. And again, I've used this analogy before and forgive me for those who are repeating it too, but it's based in, in how we evolved as human beings. And when the saber-toothed tiger came into the camp, the group that got up to fight the saber-toothed tiger, some of them survived. 
and they got to stay in the gene pool. A group got up and ran away. Now, some of them were successful and then, then they stayed in the gene pool. The group that just sat there to see what was going to happen next, they all got eaten. So there's nowhere in our genetic makeup to just sit there and see what's going to happen in a time of stress. So if you're looking at your account on the regular and you're get, getting stressed, you're going to have a bias towards action. And that normally revolves in, hey, shouldn't we have sold or should we sell now? And should we buy in later, which is a whole market timing thing. And Josh, what's your opinion of market timing? Doesn't work. <laughs> Doesn't work. Did you want to use more words, sir? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> All right. No, well, but okay. But you know, here's the thing. So. One, it's very difficult to do, if not impossible, very challenging. And one of the, the things that we usually look at is, okay, maybe you get it right one time, but then you got to get it right a second time. So not only do you have to sell at the right time before the market pulls back, but you need to buy again in the market when, after the market has pulled back. And that's very challenging for people to do. First of all, you're fighting all of these biases that we're talking about, because when things are good, you have a natural tendency to want to allow those things to keep going. When things are bad, you have a natural tendency to want to avoid that. So it's the last thing you're going to want to do when things are bad to put your money back into the market. If we were here in March, 2020, and the COVID pandemic has banished everybody to their homes for the foreseeable future, and we tell you now is the perfect time to buy if you've been sitting in cash, what do you think you're going to do? You're not going to be dumping a whole bunch of money in the stock market. So it's a bit of a mugs game, I think, in both markets. Oh, and, and the other thing is, let's, let's just go back to 20, March 2020 as the example. So you decide to dump your money in. My follow-up question is, how long have you been sitting on it? Because it's a very good chance you've been sitting on it and the market hasn't even pulled back to the date you actually were, have been sitting on it. So you, you feel all smart with yourself because you were, A, had the money, B, had the courage to do something. But if you've been sitting on it long enough, you actually were still buying it at a higher point than you could have gotten the market a few years. But again, our opinion is that market timing doesn't work. You need to get it right. You need to get it right too often in order to be effective. And even if you get it wrong once at every 20 times, you can wipe out all of the gains that you've had from getting it right. We're not going to hold ourselves out as market timers because we don't think it's possible. And these things that are natural and they happen, the best thing is just to ride the boat. Yeah. So one of the other biases that I think is really topical right now, uh, at least for us, is recency bias. So this is the tendency to to remember things that have happened most recently first and and, and uh, foremost in your mind. And what we had happen this year, people have a really short memory. What we had happen this year is markets have basically been up almost every month. So up to, to, to September. So when you have such a good, consistent, steady run for stocks, and then you have this pullback, all of a sudden you're like, wow, this doesn't really happen that often. Like what's happening? But if you look at the, again, the, the bigger picture, longer term, you would see that, yeah, this type of thing happens all the time. You just need to go back a little bit more into the past to remember that. Yeah. And there's interesting things that, that creep in again, where people call up to complain about losses, it's like, how does down? $20,000, $40,000, $80,000, whatever the number is. But when it's up, they talk percentages. So you have a conversation with somebody and they say, yeah, my account's down $40,000. Okay. Well, that means I have to work an extra year. No. How did you get there? How many buses did you have to get on to draw that conclusion? You're thinking your account's permanently down that amount of money? You know, again, it's, it's confusing a fluctuation of a market. 
Because again, it's recency bias. If my account is dropped by this much within three years, I'll have no money left. No, just because it happened in the last month doesn't mean it's going to happen every month for the next three years. That's not reasonable. That's not how the world works, but it is how our mind works. And you know, again, all due respect to people's minds because they are human and they behave in human ways, but there's a lot of things built in there that cause you to feel that and want to act, which can be acting against your self-interest. And one of the, there's a lot of studies have been done about how much we feel pain versus pleasure. And depending on the study, it's two to six times. So if you feel happy, it, it takes six times as much happy to make up for one unit of, of pain, depending on what field that you happen to be looking at, but it takes a lot more happy to make up for a little bit of pain. So there's a real motivation for people to never see their account go down. But the problem is, Josh, we gave them that alternative and say, hey, we can put all your money to GICs at 1.4%. Well, that doesn't make me happy. Okay. <laughs> so where do you want to go from here? Yeah. It, it may make them happy in the short term when they don't see their account going down. But 10 years from now, when they run out of money because inflation's been running 3% for 10 years, they're not going to be too happy with us. Yeah. It's a, it's a slow unhappiness that reveals itself yeah. over time. Sounds like a, almost a no-win situation for us, doesn't it? We are a little masochistic, it is, but it's a choice that we've made or a calling that we have. Yeah. The other, the, the last one here, I think biases that are first and fourth, I should restate that. Catherine, edit this out. Yes. Another bias that is very prevalent right now is hindsight bias. And that's the bias where you look in hindsight and you say, Hindsight being 2020, I knew this was going to happen. I should have done this. I should have done that. And I think the thing today is, well, we knew that the market was high. We knew that the market was at all-time highs. We knew that it was right for a pullback. We should have sold a month ago. And in this is hindsight bias at work, perfectly in action. You did not know that markets were going to be down months from now. You did not know, and if we stand here today, you might say one thing's obvious, one thing was obvious, but it just wasn't. It, it seems obvious now, and we can go back to 2008, 2009, where we had the really big uh, financial crisis. And after the fact, there are so many people that came out of the woodwork saying, this was obvious. It was obvious that this was going to happen. And you look at their track record and say, if it was so obvious, why weren't you doing something at the time? You were actively investing in the market, but you didn't actually see this. It just seems obvious in hindsight. No, because you take a look at the track record of people who are featured as having, you know, been prescient at a moment in time and it's, yeah, that was their one time. They had no track record before that and no track record since that. Yeah. The law of large numbers. There's somebody out there who happened to time a trade just right now. And, you know, I'm sure the microphones will find them and I'm sure they'll be able to spin a very interesting story about why they were able to see this coming. But at the end of the day, that person's always going to be out there because there's so many market participants at any point in time, you're going to be able to find the person who got it just right. So the next natural question for me, Colin, is you have all these emotions that are driving you nuts, making you panic, making you worried, making you do one thing or the other. How do you deal with it? What, what are you supposed to do with it? From what I've read about emotions in other people, because I've been told I don't have much of a relationship with my own emotions, it's having a process. And it's funny because we did a presentation on stage one, one time, not that long ago, and we we're having a conversation about process and the people in the crowd said, it was almost like we were having a gag reflex and process and the process. It's like, well, process is the answer. It's having a set of steps that you repeat that have, you've, that have been proven to be successful in a variety of situations and that you reflect upon from time to time. 
but it's a process that you execute rather than trying to figure out how you feel. You know, what's my gut tell me? Where, what direction should it be going? But it's having that process and being reflective about that process and making sure that you put a lot of thought into your process. And in our case, it's about having a group of people around the table executing it. So that again, we do have some different perspectives at the table and try to remain not getting overconfident in anything, because that's where you make the mistakes here. If you get really super overconfident that things are going to go a certain way, that's when you can cause a problem. What, what would you add to that, Josh? Yeah. Process driven, analytical driven, data driven. If you're taking these things all that way, all through an analytical lens, as well as having checks and balances in place. And I think we, we have those checks and balances. So as much as you say, you're emotionless, there's something deep down inside and call that makes you act the way that you do by having other people or contrasting opinions to act as that check and balance. So if you're too emotional one way or the other, somebody can bring you back to center. Uh, all of these things are important. So it, it all focuses around having that process, having a set of steps that is repeatable, dependable, and, and proven to be effective over time. And I guess I would add, don't be confident. The, the, the smartest people I know aren't sure. And being super confident in what happens next or what you should do now and taking disproportionate wagers in a particular direction, whether that's going to cash or going to 40% cash or deciding all your money's going to be in energy or it's all going to be in Bitcoin. Being really super confident as to what happens next, that's when you can blow stuff up. If you remain cautious and that I'm not sure which way this is going to go and you take a balanced, diversified approach to things, then, you know, the key to long-term success is just not ever blowing yourself up entirely. If you can avoid that, then you've dramatically improved your chances of having financial success. It's not about hitting the winning shot. It's not about being in the perfect asset class. It's not about getting one thing right. It's never about getting one thing right. It's about never getting everything, getting a big chunk wrong. So being overconfident, we can look back. When Joe Biden became president, that was going to be terrible with stock markets. The pandemic was going to crash the global stock markets. Donald Trump was going to be confident and either it was going to be good or bad, depending on the point in time. But all these times people get super confident. If you acted on that impulse and behaved rashly and took a big bet or took a big position based on that belief, you could have caused yourself some very real, meaningful harm to your financial situation. So again, being really confident that you think what's going to happen, just don't do that. Thanks for hanging out with us. We hope you found this a little bit interesting. As always, we're available for questions and we do take requests. If you give us a request, who knows? We may show up uh, being referred to in a future podcast amongst our tens and tens of listeners. There's a free t-shirt in it. Maybe. I guess, if, you know, maybe Catherine can get t-shirts done. We need swag. That's what we need, Josh. Swag. Yeah, we'll send them something from our closets if we really need to. We'll come oh, up with something. Merch. Sorry. That's, the kids call it merch. We need to get some merch for our podcast. I think it's Gitch. It's Gitch. Oh, see, look, I can't even keep up. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth Inc. 
iPrivate Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. iPrivate Wealth is a trademark and business name under which iPrivate Wealth Inc. operates. should not be construed as legal, tax, or accounting advice. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.